I'm going to tell you guys, you've probably never seen a preacher like me. I'm just going to be very honest and upfront. Is that okay? Yeah. And I want to set an expectation tonight. First of all, let me tell you I love Jesus with all my heart. I love Jesus with all my heart, and I'm very passionate about this gospel. I'm very passionate about this message about the scriptures. I'm very passionate about seeing people understand that the thing that we've all encountered, the person that we've all encountered, let them see him for the first time in their life in a new way. I believe that our ministry is called to preach the gospel to both the free believer and the church. You say, why do we need to preach the gospel to the church? Because for the longest time now, the gospel has been deemed a part of the message. My friends, the gospel is the message. Can I say that? Is that mm -hmm. okay? I'm from Texas too, guys, so I'm kind of a crowd participation preacher. Amen. If I see you nodding like a cloud of witness or something, I'll, I'll know that you're getting it. If not, I gotta like keep like grinding the will. Amen. Because I want I want scripture, scripture, Psalms 119, we're supposed to hide in our heart so that we do not sin against God, but we're also supposed to hide it in our heart. So that it, it, it's a lamp that, that tells us which path to go down. Amen? Mm -hmm. So I want to make sure that we're getting it. I've been mesmerized this week, guys. I have, uh, we have an internship. And I'm going to jump into this text in just a minute. But I want to share this with you. We have an internship. And, and the interns right now have been, have been looking at revival history. They had a class on homiletics. Which, by the way, that was really interesting. It's always amazing to watch young, young preachers that begin to understand the art of preaching. Come on, guys. Now, listen, I'm, I'm a student <laughs> man. I'm not. <laughs> so I love the art of preaching because there's something behind taking these scriptures and being a, a good teacher is taking something that is complicated and simplifying it. Think about it. Paul, in the book of Corinthians, when he, when he stood in front of all of them, he says, I'm not coming to you with lofty speech. But I'm coming to you, Jesus Christ, and you're crucified. Out of anything tonight, that's what I want us to get. Out of it, I, I believe with all of my heart in the work of evangelism, guys. We had we had four precious, precious souls enter into the kingdom this morning. That was a good time to clap right there, guys. <laughs> if all of heaven, if all of heaven is rejoicing, why is it? Why isn't the body? Can I say that? Let me ask you guys a question. If I was to, if I was to squeeze a whole bunch of oranges and apple juice come out, it would be weird, right? So how come every time the body is squeezed, everything but Jesus comes out? Can I say it? We need to be the first ones. It needs to be on our lips. We need to be instant, in season, ready to deliver this beautiful message that he's given us. I'm not picking on the church whatsoever at all. I'm a local, I believe in the local church, and I believe the local church is God's institution to bring in the harvest. Amen? But I want to talk to you tonight about some things that, that as a family, we can talk about things we struggle with, right? Mm -hmm. So as a family, as the body, there's things that we struggle with sometimes, in church, I believe with all of my heart that the, the, the word of the Lord for this year is multiplication. But I also believe it's availability. And sometimes what happens 
is we've leaned into saying we understand life gets busy and life gets complicated. And so if you have time, do this. I'll be the one up here saying you need to make time to share your faith. Come on. I'll be that guy. Okay. I'll be the guy that's like, sorry, guys. But that's just the way it is. I went to a, I went to a conference up in New York. And I was speaking at this conference, and it was cool. They did one of those little panel things up front that I wasn't used to yet because I've got gray hair. I don't see a lot of gray hair. There's a few gray hair people in there. But I got gray hair, so I'm not used to seeing, like, the whole panel thing up here in a discussion. But I found it very interesting. So they went through a panel of millennials and Gen Z, and they were saying, what does the church need to do to attract more of the millennials and Gen Z, and they gave them a, a microphone, and they began to go through, and I heard some really amazing, amazing things, but they had no idea that I was the last speaker, and my message was entitled, Jesus said go, the church is the one that said come. Jesus said go, and it come to the last, the very last person, and it was a young lady, and she just began to cry, and she said, why don't you just come get us? Why don't you come get us? Why don't you share your faith with us. In revival history, there's a, a great revival called the Welsh Revival. Anybody ever heard of that? And in the Welsh Revival, everyone, as soon as it's brought up, they think of this wonderful pastor by the name of Evan Roberts, and they, they go, that's when it, that's how the revival started. It was this powerful man of God came into it. No, that's not right at all. It was a, a little, small, teeny, tiny church plant that in the midst of, like, chaos, they had, they, had, they had poverty that was running rampant all throughout the area they were at. Most of the city worked in the coal mines. Evan Roberts never went to seminary. He, he trained under a guy named Seth Joshua in an internship, but he was a coal miner. But I remember in this little country church, there's a pastor named Joseph Jenkins. And Joseph Jenkins came into the building one day and and he felt in the midst of all the chaos, he said, does anybody have a testimony of the goodness of the Lord? Anybody? And the room felt quiet, much like right now. And then he said, surely somebody has a testimony. And he waits and he looks around and he's like, I'm not going to stop because I know somebody has a testimony. And all of a sudden in the back, a young lady around 17 years old, began to raise her hand and was shaking. If she was she never spoken in front of anyone, never said anything. And he said, what's your testimony? It was a, it was a young lady named Flor, Flory Evans. And she said, I love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart. That was it. I love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart. All of a sudden, people began to repent. People began to feel the presence of God in a place that they had never, never, in a way that they had never encountered him before. The, there was people that were gathered around the church and lines that were miles long because they encountered the love of Jesus in a tangible way. Guys, my message today or my topic today is about love. Like, we know, we know how to do evangelism, in most cases, there's people in here that's probably been through several evangelism trainings. You know how to show your testimony. You know how to, but the, the longest distance that a man can travel is the distance from here to here. 
It's one thing to know the knowledge. It's another thing to have the wisdom to apply the knowledge that you've learned. Mm. And it's also another thing to begin the discipleship process out of that. I know I'm speaking to a church that believes in making disciples, but I am going to reiterate, my mentor taught me that we're not called to make salvations, we're called to make disciples. So I think that's something we need to, we need to replay as the church, we need to replay in our mind all the time. And why does that seem icky whenever we say it? Because discipleship is messy. It's messy, man. It really is. You gotta get into you gotta get into people's lives and they allow them into yours. Look with me real quick in scripture. I know that we've already we've already read it, so I'm just gonna highlight and go through a little bit. I want you to notice a topic first of all. I want you to notice verse 27 when he says, So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. In Matthew chapter like 7 through like chapter 11, there is a big debate going on. If you guys have been reading Matthew as a late, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody kept wanting to know who's the greatest. And that's strange that in the midst of everything that Jesus was trying to teach them about going low, they were more concerned with self, selfish ambition, selfish pride. They wanted to know who would be, who would be up there with you, Jesus. And he goes, you're not, you're not getting what I'm saying. Not getting what I'm saying. You have to love God and love other people. He says this over and over in all four of the Gospels. He says this, what we're going to talk about in a minute in 1 John. Guys, let me tell you, this is what's really wild because a lot of people look at me like, oh, here we go. It's a commandment. It's a commandment that we love other people. It's a commandment. And how, what is the best way to love other people? Anybody? Give them the truth. Because guess what? Love without truth is a lie. Love without truth is a lie. So the way that we do evangelism is we believe in the, the trifold application of love, truth, love. You walk up to them loving them. What does loving them do? Loving them means you're going to let them give you their story. That it's not about us and we don't have it all figured out but it's about them. It's about them encountering Jesus. I mean, guys, I, I, I do, I do statistic thing. I'm a big statistic guy. And, and there's a leading statistic right now between the homeless population and between the young population, actually the Gen Z's. If you ask them, what is the main thing that you want the church to understand? And they, they, they look back and they say, just, just let us be seen. Act like we're there. Don't just avoid us. Give us a voice. Guys, I'm telling you, love looks like something. One of my heroes is a guy named Count Zinzendorf. Anybody ever heard of that guy? Count Zinzendorf is one of the leaders of the Moravians. I'm, kind of, I'm a missionary, guys. I'm a missionary evangelist, so I, I speak a lot about missions. Like this whole story right here is about a mission. This is a mission in itself. This whole story of the Good Samaritan. Why? Because at the time when the church needed to shine the most, they didn't want to make themselves available. The pastor was probably super busy that day. You know, he had a lot of things on his mind. 
And, 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 and the story of the, the man that was robbed and laying there, and he believed by most theologians to be naked and just a mess, that he had really been beaten. And they looked over and said, that looks like that's going to take a little bit, and I don't have it, so I can't make myself available. Now, now in those days, the ministers that you could, you could, Pastor, you know, you could identify them by what they had on. Can you imagine being in the ditch? Can you imagine being on the side of the road thinking, oh, here we go. This is someone that's going to pour out mercy on me. This is someone that's going to pour out love and acceptance and, and, and meet me right where I am and hear my story. And he just walked away. Then the Levite comes by, and he's dressed in his robe because the Levitical priest had to wear a certain garment as well, and he comes by, and, and he does the same thing. Then all of a sudden, Salvation came in a way that wasn't expected. Does that make sense to you guys? Even in the Jewish people, they're still waiting on the Messiah because they believe he would come as a king first. But he came as a lamb. He came as a servant. So this young man, or this man, is on the side of the road, and all of a sudden a Samaritan. Now listen, does anybody know the history here with Samaritans? They were exiles. They were shunned by the Babylonian people, and they were shunned by the Jewish people. So, I mean, we could even talk about the woman at the well and her experience when she was talking to Jesus. And she said, if you knew who I was, you wouldn't ask me to draw you water. What's well, the same thing here? The Samaritan walks over. And the least of these, the one that you thought had, if, if anybody had a reason to be upset, it was them. I want to I I tell you this evening that love is a choice. I want to tell you that, 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 that there, there, is, there is something about reading the Word of God and then applying the Word of God. We have to make it applicable. The, 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 the Bibleship, the, the discipleship method that's used in all of the book of Acts was to teach it, model it, and then immediately activate other people into it. Love looks like something. Love looks like someone. In the stories of revival history, there's three reoccurring things that happen over and over again in every one of the big ones. I'm talking about people like Billy Sunday. Does anybody know who that guy is? Oh, if you don't, you need to look. I'm talking about people like, like, like people in the first great awakening, people in the second great awakening. To where we actually, we've got to learn where we came from so we can see what mistakes not to make anymore. And then plus what it kind of does is it begins to burn in our heart to where we get sick of reading about revival history and we want to see it. We want to see it being walked out right in front of us. I believe that we have the recipe for something amazing going on out there right now. I'm so sick of hearing how dark the world is. I'm, I'm seriously, I'm so sick of it. I want to talk about how good he is. I want to talk about how in the midst of everything that we went through as a people, guess what? God was walking in the midst the whole time. One of the, the biggest poems my grandmother used to, used to, 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 it was posted everywhere in her house, guys. I mean, everywhere you went, they had the footprints in the sand. Does anybody know that? It says, 
and I'm going to do my best to quote it here, but it basically says, a night, one night a man had a dream that he was walking on the beach with the Lord. And he looked back and he noticed that in the most troublesome times in his life, there was only one set of footprints, and this really bothered the man. So he said, Lord, how come in the most troublesome times in my life, when I really needed you the most, you weren't there? He said, my precious, precious child, when you look back and see only one set of footprints in the sand, it's because then I was carrying you. So this man is laying here on the side of the road. This Samaritan comes up to him and begins to not only save his life, but also treat his wounds. Remember me saying discipleship can get messy? It really can. How many of you know there's a lot of wounded people out there? Guys, I'm not just talking about the pre-believers, the ones that just get saved. I'm talking about church members. You know, the, 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 the gift of evangelism goes way beyond just preaching on a street. Does that make sense to you? Mm -hmm. The gift of evangelism actually calls people into discipleship. It calls forward disciple makers. The pastors that are basically sitting there, if you will, that's what a disciple maker really is. You're pastoring someone's heart. You're leading them into the precepts of Scripture. You know, I heard, this is totally off topic, but I heard a shocking thing the other day. Um, I was at an Assembly of God church, and they're doing a big campaign because they, they how many of you guys remember Sunday school? Doesn't like anybody? Okay, you remember Sunday school? Okay. How many of you guys remember church on uh, well, you guys know church on Sunday night, but uh -huh. in most cases, a lot of campuses have shut down their Sunday night service. We are living in the most biblical, illiterate time than we have ever lived in. It's a proven fact that it, the Joshua Project, anybody know who they are? So they go in and they also do statistics. I'm a numbers guy. I really love to see like where everything is. And they do statistics, and that's so they, they've been doing the 1040 window and all these other nations, but they decided to come back and do one in America. 20% of most of the people that they interviewed in their in, the, in this, this research that they did, 20% know what the Great Commission is. You ready? 3% are walking in it. The numbers are overwhelming. The numbers are overwhelming, guys. We have a lot of people that are saying this prayer and thinking that that was the, that was the whole ordeal, but they did it without encountering Jesus. We have a lot of people think they're born again, and they're not. What keeps me up at night isn't if people, if their checkbooks are balanced. That doesn't keep me up at night. What keeps me up at night is knowing in a building this size with this many people, one of you at least will probably not will probably be eternally separated from God. Statistics prove it. That keeps me up at night. Because it's not the will of God. It's not the will of God that any should perish. Ezekiel says he doesn't even desire the death of the wicked. He, he, he prolongs his coming so that, the, so that people could come to a saving knowledge and understanding. But guess what? How will they go unless they have a preacher? The, 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 the gift of evangelism or, or church growth doesn't fall on the pastoral team. 
The pastoral team is in charge of teaching you to do ministry. Well, we're all called to do the work of an evangelist. I, I, I would take a room this size and I would say, how many people in here believe you're an evangelist? And my three hands would go up. And I'd say, praise God, all of you are wrong. We're all called to do the work of an evangelist. We're all called to preach the gospel. You want to see the closest mission field that you can enter into for all people's church? It's called friends, family, and co-workers. Mm -hmm. Start right there. Mm -hmm. Start right there with friends, family, and co-workers and watch what begins to happen. But you have to make yourself available. You have to put yourself in the place. You can't let the fear of man overtake you in any way. Do you imagine that the Samaritan that was here that was coming up to a Jewish man probably had a little bit of thinking going on, I hope he doesn't get upset about me coming up and trying to help him. Fear of man has to go. Guess what? Perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love. The antidote to fear is sonship. The antidote to fear is knowing who you are. And then after that, you begin to walk in an area. And, and as you can begin to accomplish what you're speaking about, you'll notice that the fear begins to digress, mm -hmm. that the fear begins to leave. My wife, my favorite evangelism partner is my wife. She is so good. She's better at it than I am. What she loves to do, she loves to do two things. She loves to do gifts of mercy. You guys know what that is? I mean, sometimes we get a little bit extra in our bank account. How many of you know it's really hard for some people to hear the gospel over their stomach growling? <laughs> get hungry and broken people out there. So my wife likes to go up and like, like she, she keeps running into these, these young kids that are at the gas station that are brand new newlyweds and they're just getting started. And she remembers when we were here and, and, and boss, she'll go, she'll hear him say, honey, don't go over $8 because we still have to pick up diapers. And she'll go, oh, this is a good time to be a Christian. This is a good time. I'm not even going to use the terminology Christian. This is a good time to be a follower of Jesus. And she'll, she'll go over there and she'll go, boom. And she'll turn around and the young lady goes, what are you doing? And why are you doing that? And my wife is very forthright. She'll tell them, listen, it ain't me doing it. Honey, if you would have known me 10 years ago, this would have been the last thing that I would be doing. But I've encountered love. And because I've encountered love, I can't help but do this. Some of you have heard me say, I've had people come up to me and say, will you pray boldness over me? Can you please pray that I might be more bold? Guys, I'll look you right in your eyes and tell you, I'm not bold. I'm in love. I'm telling every guy in here, I'm in love with a man. I'm in love with a man, and his name is Jesus. And he completely changed my life. And because, listen, people have done crazy things for the sake of love. Wars have been fought over love. You can look all throughout history and you can see that that is the case. What the Samaritan was doing right here was an amazing, amazing outward show of love. Real quickly, for the sake of time, I want you to turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I want to challenge you a little bit. I'm going to stretch your tip text. Has anybody in here ever read Attributes of God by Arthur Pink? Okay, Arthur Pink was one of my favorite, one of my favorite theologians, but it's okay that I disagree with a couple things, isn't it? I, I don't think love is an attribute of God. Don't throw stones at me. Hang on. An attribute is a characteristic. 
I believe love is part of the very DNA of who God is. Scripture says over and over again, God is holy, God is love, and God is fire. It's repetitive. How many of you know sometimes when God says things that are repetitive, it's not so other people can take it out of Scripture. It's because we need to hear it a few times. Mm -hmm. Amen. Does that make sense? A few of you got that. Because I don't know about you, but the truth established in the second and third witness, that was for me. That was for me. I always, and my wife says, I'm, I'm blessed with hard-headedness, praise God. I got to hear it a few times. So he put it in Scripture a few times so that I could hear it. And then I go, oh, that's what that meant. First John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. I looked at that in so many different translations. I looked at that in the Septuagint. Listen, guys, it literally says he is love. That, that's, that, that's part of his makeup. So the reason that, that people have been getting lost in all of this different, all of the different worldly types of love is because they don't know what real love looks like. Worldly love tells you, I love you if. You do this for me. They put something on it. They make it to where you have to you have to give up something. But God says, I just love. But I want you to look real quick when they journey down to verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom has he seen? How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment, I want you to circle that. I think it's really interesting. We need to understand what commandments are in Scripture. I've been marinating in Psalms 119. It just keeps talking about the precepts and the statutes of Scripture and understanding it and how well it does and how can a young man keep himself pure but by, by living in the Word of God. And then I look at this and I said, and this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. It's an outward, it's an outward flow of an inward working. I love God so much that I want to pour that same love. Guys, I'm, a, I'm undone. This is why when I get up and preach sometimes, people say, you act kind of borderline crazy. I am. <laughs> I am. Because I was a drug dealing, womanizing individual that was only set on one thing and one thing only, myself and my money. That's all that mattered to me. But Jesus found me and loved me when I didn't deserve love. But he poured it out on me anyway. Let me tell you what love looks like. And I want to bring this in because love looks like love looks like a man that when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he sweat drops of blood. It looks like a man that was wrestling. But guess what happened? Immediately when he said, if this cup can pass for me, let it pass, he answered his own question, nevertheless. I would like to tell you with all of my heart, the real battle was won in that garden that night. That night when Jesus said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. That's what courage looks like, obedience. Mm -hmm. He gets up and he walks out and give you the fast-forwarded version, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Judas uh, walks up with the, with the temple guard and, and, and betrays him with a kiss, which just a few days before, 
In John 13, if you begin to read John 13 in its entirety, you see that Jesus gave Judas four opportunities to change his mind about what he was going to do. He even did something that not a lot of people know about. Whenever the Passover dinner was taking place, it was a common custom for the host of the home to dip the bread in the horseradish and hand it to the person they loved. So when he said, he who takes the sop, he was actually pointing it at him saying, Judas, I love you. And what's funny is that is Peter, Peter, of course, everyone wants to know who's betraying. So Peter goes to John and says, John, hey, John, find out who it is. So John leans over and does the thing and said, who is it? Who's been betraying? And right then, John got a perspective of what real humility and love looks like. Because all John's seeing with his head back here is Jesus pointing right at Judas. But Judas still betrays him. That's a whole other series, guys. That's an amazing story, by the way. But so Judas betrays him. He comes up and immediately, immediately, they begin to beat Jesus. I'm telling you what love looks like for just a second. We, us in this room, need to know what love really looks like. That's when we'll be passionate enough and have enough fervency to take it over into the next level of, of discipleship. Yeah. That's when all of a sudden when we're going door to door or when we're talking to people and they begin to reject us, all of a sudden we know they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting him because the gospel is offensive. So he's beaten. They ripped his beard out. He's standing before the Sanhedrin. Now he's already beaten. The scripture says he's been marred more than any man. That's an absolute statement. Does anybody know what that means? That means he was beaten worse than anybody has ever been beaten before and beaten worse than anybody will ever be beaten. He looked like hamburger meat walking. Nobody likes to hear this story because everybody wants to hear about pretty Jesus. But let me tell you, this is the most beautiful picture of Jesus that I've ever seen in my life or ever heard about in my life. A man that loves me so much that he was willing to be disfigured disfigured so that we could come into the family of God. They, they put him before Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate said, listen, I don't want nothing to do with this because his wife had a dream the day before. And she said, I don't want anything to do with this. And, and he's saying, guys, what has this man done? And, and, and he says, I'll scourge him. So he turns to the Roman soldiers and they take him. Many of you probably know most of the details of the story, but they start with reeds. They strip him down. The best way to fall in love with evangelism is the fresh glimpse of the cross. The best way to fall in love with him and his beauty and his glory and, and, and behold him for who he is is to look at a picture of the cross. See it in your mind. See this taking place. They, they tied him to what's called a flogging log. And then they would take reeds and they would beat him. A lot of times, reeds didn't even leave a lot of bruises, but it would break bones and destroy muscle and everything. And then when they, they seen that Jesus was showing resilience, they said, bring the catabellum, bring the catabellum. This is a leather instrument that at the, at the end of every one of them, they used to tie little balls of steel or bone or, or rock fragments. And it was designed to where when they would whip him, it would stick into his body, and then they would pull it right out. And it would completely shred his flesh. I know I'm graphic tonight. That's okay, though, because the passion of the Christ, even though it was great, 
it was still way off from how bad it really was. He was marred more than any man. But yet every lash, every lash, he said, I'm doing this for a loss. Every lash, man. Every time they would rip his flesh, every time they would get him and beat him, they would, he was doing it for sin. You've got to make the gospel personal because it's personal between you and him. He's not a long distance, far away God. This isn't a monologue. This is a dialogue. He right. is up close and personal and wants that type of relationship with you. Fast forward him a little bit. We see that Jesus has believed to have lost two-thirds of the blood in his body. Now, when I was a paramedic, I could tell you that, first of all, I'm a weakling. I get a paper cut and I get dizzy just getting to the door. <laughs> Jesus lost two-thirds of the blood in his body. It's actually a medical miracle he was even able to walk. And he had one thing on his mind, Amanda Sandberg. He had one thing on his mind, Alma and Bola. He had one thing on his mind. He was going to complete the work that the Father had sent him to do. Come on. So he's, he's carrying this 235-pound cross. And he carries it all the way to the Via Dolorosa to a hill called Golgotha, the hill of the skull. And they take him up, and most of the time they tied people. But because he had said that he would be resurrected in three days, they drove nails. And they didn't drive nails right here, where all the pretty Jesus pictures are. They put them right here, in between the ulna and the radius, one of the most painful nerves in the body, and they completely severed it. And then his feet, they put on top of each other. And when they went through the pedial nerve with the spike, they also completely severed the Achilles tendon. Has anybody ever bumped your Achilles tendon? Mm. And so this was the choice that Jesus had. Jesus could raise up on all of the pain on that nerve at that moment. And he was able to breathe or he would collapse. And immediately his shoulders were dislocated and he would die of asphyxiation, which is smothering. And in the midst of all of that, he looks down and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We've never known love like this, guys. Yeah. We've never known. This is, a, this is a, the, the first and the biggest showcase of love that has ever been shown. Yeah. And he looks and says, I love them. Real love looks like arms wide open and heart exposed. Real love looks like I love you. I want to be with you so much that this is what I did for you. There's a, a musician that I talked to the other night, and he goes, man, every time I sing the songs about the blood of Jesus, I really have been getting man, back into old hymns. I know I'm that guy. I'll just say it. You know why? There's theology in there. <laughs> Some of the hymns we got now, those were stones. Some of the hymns we got now, they're really, really touchy-feely, but they're, they're not, there's no theology. I like a mixture. But he says, man, when we sing songs about the blood, something begins to happen. And he's talking to this old evangelist, and he goes, why do you do what you do? And he says, because every time I go out and I see the blood of Jesus set somebody free, every time I feel like that blood splashes on me my whole life. And he gets mesmerized by it. Guys, you know, for the sake of love, there's been a lot of things. A lot of things that have happened. There's a song called, I've Decided to Follow Jesus. Anybody know how that song was written? It was a missionary that left Wells that took his entire family and went to a place called Asan, India. When they landed in Asan, India, they immediately began to do the work of the Lord and preach the gospel. And what happens when the gospel goes forward? 
people get saved. Amen? Well, the village chief began to bring a whole bunch of people and gather them together. And as he gathered them together, he said, where is everybody at? They said, well, they've been staying with the missionaries. And they're all saying they're worshiping another god now. They're not worshiping our false god. And he said, bring everybody here. So he goes and he pulls the guy out and he tells him, he says, if you do not deny your Jesus Christ right now, if you do not deny this love right now, if you don't deny him, we're going to kill your kids. He says, I have decided to follow Jesus. There is no turning back. Arrows right in his face. Then he brought his wife. This is a tough one for me, man. I mean, I love my babies, but this is a real tough one for me. My helpmate's been with me a long time. They have been married over 30 years. And he brings her up there, and he looks into her eyes, and she just says, like she knows what he's about to say. And he says, I'm about to kill your wife. And she goes, and he goes, but no one joins me. Still, I will follow. There is no turning back. There is no turning back. Once you've experienced love like this, you're done. Mm -hmm. You're arrested. They shot his wife right then and there. And then they turned to him and said, we're going to kill you now. And he said, the world behind me, the cross before me. And then they turned after they killed everyone to the scribe and went with them. And they said, you need to go back and tell the story that if anybody comes back here again, the same fate will befall them. So he goes back. He begins to write the song. But all of these stories begin to fall on a guy by the name of William Carey. Anybody ever heard of that guy? And the exact opposite happened. Hundreds of Thousands of missionaries. Love costs us something. What are you willing to pay? There's people that walk by us every day. People that walk by us every day, whether it's our home, whether it's our neighbors, whether it's our jobs. What are you willing to do? We gotta take it to another level with discipleship. Guys, there's so much low-hanging fruit out there. People are basically saying, what must I do to be saved? I'm, I'm serious, guys. I had the honor of leading a Satanist to Jesus the other night. It's a good time to say amen right there. A Satanist to Jesus in downtown Hollywood. Right then and there. Why? Because he walks up and he says, the Lord, the, basically, when I'm talking to him, I said, man, I feel like the Lord says, you haven't gone too far. And he begins to cry and say, you know, I asked myself this morning if that was the case. Given the gospel message, it doesn't have to be a Satanist. It could be a cashier. It could be the guy mowing your yard. The whole point is, do something! When you've encountered love, how many of you in your life has been forever changed by Jesus? Come on, your hands did not go up fast enough. How many of you, if you are alive because of what Jesus has done for you, if your life has been transformed, I want you to stand to your feet right now. I want you to stand to your feet right now if your life has been transformed. So if each one of you would disciple one person for one year, look at the growth that would begin to happen. One soul, one disciple for one year. That means first you got to step outside the comfort zone. You got to step out and you got to say, hey, I don't really know what I'm doing, but can I tell you what Jesus did for me? And then say, listen, I know that he paid the price that we could not pay. He paid a price we couldn't pay, guys. You can't work your way there. 
You can't do enough stuff. There's a lot of people that are depending upon works and performance, and they don't understand love. This is what I want to do tonight. This is the strangest. I don't know if you guys know what an altar call is, because churches have kind of gotten out of altar calls a little bit, but I believe in ministry type. So what we're going to do is, right where you are, I want you to do me a favor. First of all, I want everybody in this room to close your eyes for one second. Everybody in this room for one second, because you know what? I am not going to walk in this room and think everybody in here born again. There's a lot of people that may have said a prayer, and I'm going there. You may have said a prayer, but there's been no fruit and no life change. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard of love like this at this magnitude. Maybe you've never heard the gospel presented as a love story. Maybe you've never heard that before. If that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, for one second, if that's you this morning, and you have never accepted love, you've never accepted Jesus like that, I want you to put your hand up in the air right now. If there's anybody in here that says, you know what, I think I've been standing on the line, one foot in the world and one foot, one foot in the church, and I'm, I'm tired of living that way. I'm tired of being the Lord of my own life. I'm ready to allow him to be the Lord. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand. Amen. I see your hand. Amen. Now, the rest of you, this is what I want you to do. I want everybody to raise your hands to Jesus. That's biblical. It's in the Bible. Raise holy hands unto the Lord. And this is what I want you to ask. I want you, out of your own mouth, I want you to say, Lord, baptize me with love. Fill me with your love, God. Fill me with your heart to where when I see people, I don't see anything but through your eyes. The blood of Jesus cries out for mercy. The blood of Abel cries out for justice. Mercy, God. Come on, guys, out of your mouth. I want you to begin to talk right now. I want you to begin to talk to the Lord. This may be a little bit outside of your box, but just trust me. I want you to talk to him, and I want you to say, I love you, God. Fill me with your love. Let me see people the way that you see them. And then immediately, I believe with all my heart that he's going to start showing you pictures in your mind of people that are lost. Everybody in this room can probably think of one lost person. I want you to begin to pray for them right now. But whoever they are, I want you to call their name out. Whoever family member they are, whoever they are, just begin to call their name out right now. Psalms 126, oh, that we would begin to weep again in the church. Weep for souls. That we would begin to cry out for them. Weep between the porch and the altar. I remember going to a men's prayer breakfast or men's prayer meeting and seeing people laid out at an old-fashioned altar and weeping for their neighbor or for their brother or for their kids. We got to get back to the people that weeps again. It's not weakness, it's actually strength. Don't stop. Keep going. Jesus said, could you not tarry one hour? I'm asking you to go five minutes. Come on. Some of you are getting it now. I'm seeing faces. You're seeing people that you know that are lost, and you're, and you're already coming. You're all, I see your mouths moving. Amen. 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 Jesus, Jesus, right now, we just pray for all 
All that the, all the individuals they're praying for right now. Holy Spirit, you're a whole lot better evangelist than we are. Holy Spirit, would you encounter them where they are right now? Brother, I even pray for phone calls after this to say, hey, how was church? Because I couldn't stop thinking about Jesus tonight. So where they can hear the gospel. Maybe we become the feet of our own prayers and begin to be the ones to introduce our family members to Jesus. Now I'm going to ask one more thing. I'm going to ask Pastor Pastor Sam to come up here real quick, just right here. And guys, with every head bowed and every eye closed for a minute, I want I want the individuals. There was two that raised their hand saying, "I'm ready to surrender everything to Jesus." I want you to come up here to Pastor Sam. I actually want you to move physically and come up because saying you're ready and walking that out is two different things. Come on, guys. This is the time. I'm not pressuring you. I'm just saying today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Today is the day. What we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to, uh, Pastor Daniel's going to start playing. If you don't come up right now, don't leave this place not knowing Jesus Christ. Because this book is full of 7,500 promises. But you know the, all of you, look at me real quick. Look at me real quick, everybody. You know the one promise that's not in there? Tomorrow. Amen. That's the one promise that's not in there. Don't read. The scripture says today is the day of salvation. And if you are ready to surrender, but you don't want to do it in front of everyone, that's okay. I get it. I get it. But don't leave here that way. Find Pastor Sam. Find Pastor Ross. Find Pastor Dave. Find somebody. But today is your day. Today is your day. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful congregation of missionaries. Missionaries that are called out to neighborhoods all over the Twin Cities. Ones that are ready to say, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Because it's never been about us, but always been about you and your wonderful story. Ones that are so overwhelmed with love, they can't have a counterfeit. We thank you in Jesus' name.